listeners, welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters who are seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And uh, we're here hanging out. Yeah. Having a a great time. Having a grand old time. I have a question for you. Yeah. Have you checked out Tasha's Cauldron of Everything? I haven't actually looked at it yet. I haven't either. And what I find... It's got some cool stuff I've heard. Yeah. What's interesting is it's got the Artificer, which... They had the Artificer before, right? Yeah, but it was sort of an unreleased material. It was like a... It was like a... Um, On a need-to-know basis? No, it was like in, in playtesting for a while. And and then it got officially released, but not in any actual book material. So it was only available through like D&D Beyond and, and other various um, sort of expanded material stuff. Okay, so they had the Artificer, but they didn't have the Artificer, wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. But they had the Artificer, but they didn't. Yeah. Now they do. <laughs> now they do. Now they have. They have now they've artificer. released it. Well, I actually that... really like the artificer too. Yeah. Just as a concept, it was way more significant in previous versions of D anD D, like three point five, where the artificer's role really was about crafting. Three point five had a whole system for crafting. It was like a, a built-in system that told you how to craft magic items, um, and the artificer like had an important role within that that concept. There was basically the the character class in the game that could get the most magic items and make really the most use of, of making their own magic items. Didn't Rainier play an Artificer? In 4th edition. But the Artificer in 4th edition was actually just a healer. Right, but he, he used to, like, make Band-Aids and slap them on you. Yeah, that was sort of the, what the, the theme of it. Would you say walk it off, I think? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, dang. We should have had Rainier on it. I could have asked him. Um, but I, I do like that they've they've added the artificer back in. I don't know if I entirely like the way the artificer has done been done for fourth edition, for fifth edition, but um, for now edition, for now next edition. <laughs> uh, but I do like that they've brought it back in at least by theme. I really like the artificer. Well, and there's magic tattoos. Magic tattoos have actually existed in D and D for a long time, uh, but I'm glad that they brought those into fifth edition as yeah, well. Yeah, and there's some, they they have like a whole specific list of magic tattoos and what happens if you're not concentrating them on them anymore. Which can you imagine walking around and being like, man, I'm, this is great and all, but tattoo all the time. Yeah, I gotta think about my sweet tattoo. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> my, su- my sweet ink. Have you seen Have you seen my sweet? Oh no. <laughs> Oh no, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I was thinking about picking it up, and also they have an alternate cover, which I actually like better. Ooh, I do like the alternate cover. I've never seen that before. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway, we're not sponsored by D and D. No, not means. in any way whatsoever. For all I know, they hate what we talk about. <laughs> well, they probably don't know we exist yet. That's which probably is, true. That's fine. But I do like. Uh, I always am really excited whenever there's a, a book that expands, especially like playable character stuff in D and D. I'm, I'm, I do like you know having extra bad guys or having extra, you know, interesting rules for. Um, for game mastering or travel or stuff like that. Those are nice to have, but there is something really, really fun about like new subclasses or, or you know, new magical items that you can get, that kind of thing. Those, I think, really, to me, are the most exciting thing to, to come out. Um, and they've got to be hard to make because you have to balance everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 5th edition has, been, has made balancing a lot easier. It's very easy to com- compare to... You know, here's what another class can do, or here's what another character can do at this particular level, um, which has the unfortunate effect of sometimes making it a little a little bland, mm-hmm. um, which is how like a lot of fans of 3.5 sometimes feel about fifth edition is that it, it sort of lost its punch 
Mm. Um, partly because you can't make a super broken character right. that's, that's you know crazy powerful and does all these wild things that completely disrupt your game master's game. Um, and fifth edition's a little more a, a little more streamlined, but also a little less you know peaky. It's more even. Yeah. Um, but it certainly does make uh, balancing it a lot a lot easier. I'm sure it's still a challenge. You know, you still have to compare to. Well, if we give anybody the ability to get this one one thing, how does that end up breaking? You know, this particular class or or this class combo or class and race combination. Right, and if you have a lot of players, yeah, that can be hard because then it looks like you're favoring one of them, and what does that mean? And... There's, there's also, you know, one of the real challenges of balancing a game like this is 5th edition has this sort of built-in balancing that it can do using um, main action, your, your sort of action, your move, and your bonus action. And uh, it's called action economy. And in the game, there's this limitation of just how much stuff can you do on your turn mm-hmm. because you can only really ever do one action, one move, one bonus action. And, of course, there are some spells that that shift some of that around a little bit or let you do a little more with your action or bonus action or something along those lines. But ultimately, like those are the some of the biggest limiting factors of, of the game, um, as well as certain things that don't stack together. You know, I miss minor actions. Well, the move minor standard. Yeah. I did like the, I remember I had a shirt that said move yeah. minor standard. Um, yeah. Uh, I really liked the terminology for mm-hmm. it. I think that's better than bonus action. I, I find when I'm teaching the game to new people, bonus action is really confusing because it sounds like bonus action is just like, it's a bonus. I get to have as many as I want. Right. You can actually only have one bonus action per turn, but that's confusing. It doesn't seem like a... It's not a bonus. It's something you, you can do. It's not do. a bonus. It's like a... If you have a thing that can do the bonus action, you can do it. Right. Which is why it's a minor action. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I always was kind of curious why they didn't stick to minor. Because it felt like minor was, was a better description. They than don't want to associate with minors. <laughs> well, you mean the people who uh, chisel away at rocks underground? Yep, that's <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into it. Uh, we've got some questions here for next Ooh, session. Yes, questions. Help. Questions. Like this questions. This is from Pigoman92. Pigoman. Pigoman. Oh. Pigoman. Pigoman is better than Pigoman. I like I like Pigo Man. All right, uh, maybe he's like a superhero, like a, I don't know, like Superman, but Pigo Man. <laughs> Pigo Man says, <laughs> uh, "Need projectiles to slow the party." I'm home brewing a campaign, and in order to advance the plot, I need the enemies to escape from the party. The bad guys still can be edited or designed, but so far I'm leaning towards a barbarian, a rogue, and possibly two paladins. They're fleeing the city in a caravan, and the players will want. To to chase them the caravan like first of all the, do the players want to chase them how are you making sure <laughs> how, how can you how can you be sure anyway uh the caravan will most likely be pulled by camels meaning their movement speed would be a maximum of 50 but between the pcs dashing and their wizard casting haste they could catch up almost too well something to speed up the camels would also work brilliantly if at all possible my goal is to let the party try to chase them but ultimately have the bad guys get away for now any ideas or advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Hmm. So there's a couple of things buried in here. Obviously, there's some mechanic opportunity to right. just think about, like, how what do they do to slow down the party and and speed themselves up, the the bad guys in this case. Um, but there's a there's a hidden extra piece to this, which is 
uh, there is a real challenge anytime you want the players to lose something. Yeah, I was gonna say this is kind of uh, this is kind of throwing up a red flag here. Yeah, that you want you want to dangle the bad guys in front of them and then pull it away at the last second and. That can be really frustrating. Not just that, but you're going to dangle them, and the expectation is the bad guys will get away. Right. And maybe even your plot depends on the bad guys getting away. And in good storytelling, of course, this happens all the time, right? You know, the the uh, good guys can't win every single time. That would be that would be uninteresting. You know? Right. But also in a story, you get to make up what everybody does, versus your players have free will. Right. Um, sometimes, and I'm not saying that that's is the best choice in this case. But sometimes one of the best ways to do it when you know your players are going to have to lose or fail at whatever it is that they're trying to do is to tell them ahead of time. Um, so if you have a situation where you have, you know, a bad guy who needs to get away at the end, you can tell the players, this bad guy has a secret ability he's going to use that's going to have him escape. So you're not going to catch him this time. And tell him right at the beginning and say, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to, we're going to play out this scene. And some of the choices you make still may still matter in the right. in the long run. You know, like you, you could attack one of the camels, and that might mean later they only have one of the camels. Right. Or, or you you know bust up the caravan, and it gives you stuff to to track later on, or or something along those lines. Some or, treasure you, leaks out the side, or or you know you you really mess up one of the paladins, and and now he's uh, out for the count in a in a fight later on. Um, he still gets away, but but now he's resting or whatever. Or it could make the the uh, party of bad people um, more vengeful that totally. you like hurt one of their crew members. So again, I don't know that that's the right choice in this case, but um, in future situations and other situations where you know like the bad guy is going to win in this case, or he's going to get away, or or you're going to fail to do whatever it is that you're trying to do. Sometimes it's easier. It's easier on the players to let them in on the prescribed path that right. this plot is going to take. To go back to the question. So, first of all, something to speed up the camels would also work brilliantly, if at all possible. That's totally possible. Um, someone can cast haste on the camels. Speedy camels. It's true. Although, the bad guys only have a barbarian, a rogue, and two paladins, yes. and none of them can cast haste. But they can be edited or designed. Pico Man has not settled. True. I also am a big fan of giving a bad guy a single-use magic item uh, that allows them to do what it is that you need for them to do, but they can't do it every time. So the, players... uh, the hand grenade of haste. Yes. Uh, as silly as that sounds, I have 100% used, like, this bad guy needs to get away. He smashes, a, he takes the amulet off his neck and smashes it on the ground and teleports away. Mm. Um, and now, like, okay, there was nothing you could do about it, but... He clearly like had a single use item that he very clearly used, so that he could be able to get away in this in this case. So when you see him later on and he doesn't have an amulet around his neck, you go, ah, uh-huh. he can't, can't teleport away. He just used he already used that item. Right. Um, so that that may be a useful kind of thing to do here. Or maybe there's some sort of like wind summoning spell or something that can like like take the caravan and and suddenly sails come out from the top of it and and the and the whole thing sails away that'd be pretty cool i also think that you can do quite a lot of stuff to slow down the players like um you know the rogue could drop caltrops everywhere Cal- what's a caltrop uh, caltrops are well uh basically little pointy things they're like d4s that you drop on the ground 
Um, not not kidding. That's almost exactly what cow traps okay, look like. Okay, because when you say cow traps, it makes me feel like you're saying like cow pies, which I was going to actually suggest camel poop. Sure. Yeah. That's throw not, camel not bad, poop. That's not a bad idea either. <laughs> um, no, no. That'd okay. be kind of sticky and gross. And cow traps are real pointy things that you don't want to walk over. Okay. So they basically make the environment difficult terrain, or you take damage as you run over it. Okay. All right. I'm out. That's typical. If these bad guys know that they're escaping ahead of the players, maybe they like um, have explosives or something set up, yes. and they like crumble a wall or they a, set a traps. Building. Yeah, they filled a, a ravine full of hot oil and they set fire to it yeah, as they go, go over a bridge, and suddenly there's a wall of fire and yeah. no bridge because it burned. Yeah, or they blow up the bridge as they're as they're going across it. it explodes in their in their wake. Yeah. Uh, they knock over a water tower, and the water floods the streets and knocks all the players backwards. Um, I actually had a chase scene that I had designed for some players in a game where um, the bad guy, it, it was specifically around a plot line where the bad guy that they were chasing had a bunch of dangerous magical items. Um, and so the bad guy kept using these dangerous magical items to basically get away from the from the players. So one of the things that he, he did is he had a, an item that he could touch the ground and it turned into quicksand. Ooh. But only for a round and then it turned back into dirt. So you oh. basically fall into the quicksand and, and they get, get trapped. trapped in the dirt. That's good. Um, or he had um, another thing that he could activate to phase through walls. So he like ran through a building, um, making it much harder to chase him. Um, or he had um, little mechanical mosquitoes um, and they were actually giant mechanical mosquitoes compared to the size of a mosquito. What um, size are we talking here? Like dinner plates or like, like dinner? Yeah, like dinner plates. Okay. Um, and Ugh. the mosquitoes had had like a sleep juice, so the mosquitoes would sting you and try to put you to sleep. Okay, so instead of sucking your blood out, they were they were implanting sleep. Right. Gross. Uh, which was just a, a way, you know, I wanted non non lethal ways for this bad guy to to get away. And so um, I'm a big fan of, of, like, coming up with some interesting magic items like that that can help your... Camel your poop. Like camel poop. <laughs> they can set them on fire, flaming balls of camel poop. Um, I also like the concept, because you have two paladins, that maybe the paladins could, uh, uh, like, summon some kind of creature, celestial creature, like griffins or something like that, and... And then, like, attach the caravan to the griffins say, and then fly off. If they could summer, the... summon griffins, why wouldn't they just use griffins on the caravan instead of camels? That's, that's what the I'm cam- saying. Decoy camels. Decoy camels. And then suddenly they're griffins and they fly away. Yeah. And you're left, you, get, you gain two camels. <laughs> yeah, there you and go. All the camel poop you can harvest. <laughs> Maybe these camels can smell out the other, the other party. Oh. They're like blood, bloodhounds camels okay all right <laughs> they're hunting camels <laughs> we're gonna stop now <laughs> we're going too far. uh pigoman 92 i hope that answers your question and i hope that uh you have fun you can also always make this just some sort of skill challenge i guess that's true you can always you can always just make it a couple of skill rolls but once again if you know that the that these other characters are going to get away tell them first yeah or make sure that it's really short and the players have some way to feel successful otherwise. Right. Like, like they gain some sort of information right. left behind by this caravan. Right. And that way you can be really clear and say, um, you, it wasn't possible to catch up to them. But because you guys did a good job on on chasing after them, you were able to gain this other Yeah, you gathered some, some rubble that was left behind. Right. Okay. 
Cool. Let's move on to Sweet. learning feed. Learning feed. Learning feed. Asks, it sounds like a segment that we would do. It does sound <laughs> like it. No, learning feed is the name well, of the user, the, the person feed. who, <laughs> whose question we're going to answer. Yeah, sure. Learning feed asks, how can players petrify a creature? Hmm. I wanted to do a little side quest, which is a follow-up to the Pygmalion myth. So Pygmalion was this great ivory sculptor who made his perfect women out of stone. Or made the perfect woman? Woman, yeah, single woman. Um, by some godly intervention, she became a real person. Uh, her name is Galatea. And Pygmalion then realizes he really isn't a people person and liked Galatea better when she was stone. So he asks the players to re-petrify her. I am, however, quite new to DMing and don't really have a concept of how easy or hard this would be for a low mid-level party to manage that. And uh, apart from dealing with the moral implications, any advice appreciated? Yeah, does Galatea want to be turned back into stone? I mean, I would assume no. Right. Like that's I can't even <laughs> imagine the scene a moral playing out of this. where Pygmalion is asking you to turn her into stone, and she's begging you not to, and that's pretty terrible. Maybe don't do this. Yeah. I would, uh, yeah. <laughs> I it feels it definitely feels like you are purposefully robbing someone of their. Okay, wait. All right. You, you could you could easily make Galatea a terrible person. Well, no, 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 no. Here's what we do. I got it. Okay. You make a Galatea sculpture. And then give it back. And to give Pig it back Galatea. to him, but leave the real Galatea alone. So this famous ivory sculptor is not going to notice. That you made a knockoff version of you his can say, <laughs> very look, perfect. Some things got moment. lost in the repetrification. You can't blame me. You can always she's, carve yourself another one, you famous ivory sculptor. Yeah. Why doesn't he Why just doesn't carve he himself? Just make yeah. <laughs> you lazy butt. Yeah. Because she's perfect. Um, okay. Couldn't she use like fabricate or something? So maybe. Um, we talked about fabric. There, there are limits to some of those, some of those spells. If you really want to petrify somebody, that actually is really hard to do. Um, there's really not a lot of spells, especially not low to mid level. Doesn't doesn't the um, potion, the like potion of wonder or wand of wonder, or depending on what table you're using. Yeah, isn't one of them petrified? One of them you just petrified. spam it over and over again. And try to get it. Well, it doesn't petrify them. It would petrify you. So you'd have to get her to spam it over and oh, over. Oh yeah. That would be weird. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, some of that might be, might be an option. I think there may be a spell like a flesh to stone spell, um, in the game as well. Okay. Uh, I know there was in, in previous versions of the game. What about so, Medusa? Sometimes I get my You're versions. You're going with Greek. Um, honestly, if I, if I were running this plot line and really wanted the players to have access to the spell, I wouldn't rely on player ingenuity for it. I would make sure that I'm handing them the spell. Especially if there's no alternate path for them to take, um, then I would say like, where would you find the spell? And let them like go to a library and get a scroll of turn someone to stone. Uh, <laughs> Just check it out. <laughs> yeah, you know, check it out from the local library. Get their library card. <laughs> it's in the restricted section. Yeah, well, it's in the stone working section. No, I think there's a joke somewhere in there. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Stone masonry? Arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. <laughs> oh, man, that's terrible. Um, well, yeah, why can't they go fight fight a Medusa? Wait, so they're going to fight a Medusa and then convince the Medusa to come with them? No, no, they cut her head off. 
oh, I see, and then and then show it to uh, Galatea, Galatea and open the eyes of the Medusa. You know, you got one charge left after your head's cut off. <laughs> classic, the classic rule, the single charge <laughs> remaining. It's yeah. like the five-second rule. Well, I was thinking, like, <laughs> from uh, that movie with Will Smith and the Cowboys and the Spider. Wild Wild West. <laughs> you know? Yes. That, yes, where the guy spoilers, gets his head cut spoilers. off. Yeah, spoilers from a movie that's what, like, twenty-two years old or something. Yeah, I wonder when that movie came out. Uh, um, <laughs> yep, the guy has his head cut off, and they like, like, use a flashlight to see what his last vision was. Yeah, and not, it's not because that's not, how it works. Not real science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So then you you flashlight through the Medusa head, and and, and yeah, and and petrify Galatea. Yeah, it's not a terrible idea, honestly. Like as a as a plot line. Again. The, the secret here really is just to be able to, to let your players discover this as a, as like a problem-solving solution. So you go, you need to go petrify Galatea, and then they go, well, how do we do that? None of us have a petrify spell. And you go, I don't know. What are you going to do? Uh, you'd have to go to some kind of crazy place where they have spells all over or find, find some kind of crazy creature that can petrify things. What do you think you should do now? <laughs> like, like really lay it out for them. Give them an opportunity to to go. Like, let's do that first one, or whatever the case may be. I do like the Medusa path a lot more. Yeah, because then it becomes a whole plot. But at the same time, like, I just don't. I don't know if this is a good way to go as a new DM to have a character that you have to petrify who maybe likes living. I also feel like there's a gender thing here yeah Does, am i the only maybe i'm the only one no, i feel like no, there's, totally. a, there's something about and and i think this is exists in the original myth well like, i mean it's very old Pig, yeah sure but pygmalion like makes the perfect woman uh and then doesn't like her right and i feel like there's something in the like very misogynistic nature of this of this yeah. whole myth to begin with. You know with. what? You should learning feed. You should flip this all on its head. And when they get the Medusa statue, have Galatea steal it and turn Pygmalion into stone. That might be interesting. I was actually thinking the other way to do it would be to to have Galatea demonstrate how terrible a person Pygmalion is, and then the players can go turn Pygmalion into yeah. stone. <laughs> Maybe this isn't the first time Pygmalion's done this. Yeah. This this has like happened like a bunch of times before. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, godly intervention um, turned Galatea into a real person. So I, I bet he has a whole bunch of reject statues that are perfectly good, wonderful women who aren't real yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe he gets this divine intervention all the time. And there's a bunch of like real women that are, that really locked hate in the basement. Men. No, I was thinking like escaped. Oh. And like are off living their own lives, and Pygmalion is just a guy who's like real upset about being dumped. Well, and then later he's <laughs> like, like, "Yeah, she was better when she was stoned because she wouldn't go anywhere, right? And she wouldn't talk back to me." What a jerk! Yeah, that's terrible. If you really wanted to keep to the myth, I suppose there is the possibility that you make Galatea like like a horrific monster, like not just like she she was better when she was stoned or whatever, but like she is like a like a, a vampire, she is a. She doesn't a, know a, how to exist in this world. She comes from a stone realm. Sure, which, which still feels kind of unfair, but at, but at least from that perspective, you could say like, like she is she is a, a creature out of out of her place. She demands blood sacrifices. Right. She's she's off killing people in the night. She's killing women and children and and, and the elderly. 
uh, who cannot defend themselves. Anyone who, <laughs> she's a terrible, who she terrible thinks person. is better than them. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then at least you, you make it very clear that like Galatea is an evil creature, an evil person, not and you, just, you want to turn her into stone, right? You want to turn her into stone because it's, the I mean, easiest way to get like they could just kill her. Right. And you could say when you kill her, she turns back into stone. Oh, there you go. But Which, like, you know, severed in half. Sure. Now she's just two pieces of stone. And Pygmalion will go, oh, you ruined my statue. We'll right. go, you ruined your statue. Yeah. With your dumb divine intervention. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's about it for uh, yeah. Good for luck this with, one. with this learning feed. I, I do think that there's a t- tiptoe a little on on through some of the, the tulips. T- tiptoe through the tulips, um, and keep in mind that there's like a there's a there's a message. There's a there's a rough message you might be sending somewhere in here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break. Let's take a break. We're back. I'm so glad to be back. How was your break? Uh, it was good. What'd you do? I did all of my holiday shopping. Oh, yeah. well, that's really all, productive. All done. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Yeah. For the next 10 years. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually more afraid now <laughs> about what's coming my way. Did you know that you can buy peeps off season in bulk? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I know um, how much you love peeps. Yeah, no, I don't love peeps. All right. Oh, I'll be right back for a second. Break. <laughs> we're not taking another break. Oh, all um, right. We're going to ask a GM. Uh, this ask a GM question comes from Longling26. Longling. Longling. Longling26 asks or says, Conjure Animals is broken. Yeah. I agree with you, Lana. My level five druid has now unlocked the spell Conjure Animals, and after one use, I can already see it as being very overpowered. There's also the problem of turns taking a while. Uh, He logically will always summon eight CR quarter animals, and this will really mess with the action economy. I roll on a table to keep things fair. Um, I'm assuming rolling what animals they're conjuring. Sure. To keep things fair. Yeah. Um... So how do I stop him from creating a force field of animals around him to kill everything? The pre-written campaign does not come with a large amount of enemy spellcasters, so I'm in a bit of a pickle. Combined with a necromancer with anime dead, this is becoming a bit OP, overpowered, and all other players are bored by the long turns. Long has one, two, three, four, five O's. That's pretty long. That's a long turn. Um, Okay, so this is a... Very common problem, actually, with conjure animals. Um, specifically, the the eight one quarter animals. Yeah, I um, uh, I actually had to look it up, and I I went to one of my favorite uh, little blogs. I don't know if it's that little, but I went to themonstersknow.com, which mm-hmm. I've talked about before, and they have a section on this particular um, tactic, the conjured creature tactic, and I had to and I had to look that like with this. Um, spell is it a spell it's a spell with a spell you can you can summon one beast of challenge rating two or lower or two beasts of challenge rating one or lower or four beasts of challenge rating half or lower or eight beasts of challenge rating quarter or lower um and they go on to say 
you, you can't say, I summon eight wolves. You can only say, I summon eight beasts, and it's up to the DM what beasts show up. Yes. And while that is true, I do really like to give the power of summoning choice to the player really? when, whenever possible. Um, however, I also think that it's important that players understand the impact that their choices have on the game. So there are lots of ways for me to play a character that can do all sorts of broken things. For instance, um, the druid eventually gets the ability to conjure fae. And when you get the ability to conjure fae, you can conjure pixies. And you can conjure something like four or six pixies. And every pixie has the ability to cast polymorph. Oh, geez. So if I really wanted to, at that level of druid, I could summon a bunch of pixies and have all of my pixies cast polymorph on all of the players and turn us all into T-Rexes and then stomp over all of, <laughs> all of the bad guys. But that's not very interesting. Um, and it's while it's powerful, it really disrupts the play of the game. So one of the things to really keep in mind here is I would pass this back to the player and I would say, look, you want to summon eight whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, it, it might be powerful. Um, and that's that's a fair point and a fair choice to make. Um, but you're using sort of a, a button that it makes the game less fun for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So um, here's the here's the options I'm going to give you. Um, you could figure out a way to make this more fun for the other players at the table. Um, and there might be some ways to do that. You conjure these creatures, and then you give the control over some of the creatures to the other players at the table. Now everybody's getting a chance to control two giant sp spiders or wolves or whatever, um, which, if the other players are on board with, might be a fun way to to change that up. They might still stop over all of your bad guys, but you know, bump up their armor class and hit points, and you'll be fine. Um, then at least you're getting everybody's engagement. Because the really important part here is you're losing the the engagement of some of your players. You've got one player or two players that are dominating your combat with turns that take 15 minutes apiece. And then two other players who go, well, I go and attack him. I rolled, I missed. Okay, well, it's the next person's turn. Now i got to wait another another 45 minutes before it's my turn again. That is actually one of my problems with um, Sentinels of the Multiverse is mm -hmm. I like to play very streamlined characters and other people like to play very complicated characters. And I'm like, play power, draw it done. And they're like, hold on. This mm -hmm. is going to take forever. Yep. And and that is one of the like real challenges of of play like this. But it's a bigger problem in D&D &D where this is not that common. Uh, this comes up a lot with conjure animals, but otherwise it's not that common that somebody's turn ends up suddenly taking a tremendous amount more. Yeah, especially with a necromancer in your party that is animating the dead animals that, you know, like I, I would have assumed that the animals disappear. They do. Um, I assume that uh, I think he's just talking about animate dead as yet another conjured creature, oh, I see. No, yet another okay. thing that's being that controlled. That makes more sense. Makes the necromancer's turn also extra long. Gotcha. That definitely makes more sense than what I was imagining. So I I would offer up um, some alternate solutions. So some of them are um, you can offer the control of the creatures to to other people. Um, another one might be that you say. Cool, but um, I want you to have enough dice. You're going to roll all these attacks at once. Well, or you control. The DM controls the character, right? Mm -hmm. They, you know, you get to say, I summon eight wolves, and they could, you say, great. Um, they're not in the turn order. They go immediately after your turn, and I decide what happens. Yeah, you could totally do it that way, um, where the game master, and then you can, you can be the efficient dice roller, where you say, hit, hit, miss, 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 hit, done. Right. And, and, like, maybe even this one runs away, this one does this, this one 
there's rules to conjure animal that, that they basically follow your orders. But other than that, yes. Um, you could totally fiddle around with, with some of those pieces. Ultimately, what I would do here really is, is loop in the player and say, hey, your turns are taking too long, um, and we need to find a way to either make this more engaging for the other players during your turns, or you need to stop summoning eight, eight creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could still conjure animals. I love conjuring a single CR2 creature, like a polar bear or something like that. Super fun. Uh, great way to, to like have a powerful companion that's that's right next to me and doesn't take up all that much more time than you know just a single person's turn where they're thinking about their spells or whatever. Um, the other thing to keep in mind if you're worried about the balance involved here is Conjure Animals is a concentration-based spell, which means that if you hit the druid when they're concentrating on the spell, you can immediately stop the Conjure animal spell. Um, and all those animals go poof up into the air and become All right, nothing. so start, just target the druid. Right. Um, as well as you can use Dispel Magic to get rid of it. It's a level 5 druid, so now you have enemies that can be that can use spells. Um, and I would add some spellcasters in. Your players are getting strong enough that maybe the pre-written campaign doesn't come with a lot of spellcasters. Put some in. Um, sw- swap out a, a rogue for a spellcaster somewhere or a... Or a fighter for a spellcaster. Um, that is a perfectly acceptable way to do that. Um, you can also, like, you know, have some people with some ranged uh, uh, area attacks and stuff like that. You know, maybe they're, you're fighting against a barbarian. Well, the barbarian takes his axe and he spins around in a circle and he lobs the heads off of all of your, right. all of your wolves that totally. you have there. Um, so there are definitely some ways that you can creatively uh, let the druid be successful in some senses in saying like great you've you've used this spell and you got something out of it and but it didn't you know last for forever and it's not a permanent i win button that you get to use against everybody in combat which is some sometimes part of the concern here i still think that the dm should pick what the beasts are i don't know i like i like the idea that the players you know get to theme the the attack or get to think strategically about what kinds of attacks they want to do. Yeah, totally. But the, as the DM, I, I might get to theme it also. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Per, this is a personal preference as a, as a game master. I think you can totally have the, the, the rules allow you to be the one to make the decision as the game master. Um, but I would also say that the, there's a lot of fun. I like have letting my players describe what their spells look like. And in a lot of senses, this sort of, in my mind, falls into that similar area. I want them to be able to make some decisions about what it is that they're they're summoning. But I don't think that's a that's an end all be all. I think that's a, a preference as a game master. Maybe they they summon eight creatures, eight beasts, but one of them comes out a little weird. <laughs> it's like a real goofy one. Like you you weren't concentrating hard enough, and this one's a little derpy. Yeah. Honestly, I think actually one of the biggest failings of this spell is that Dungeons and Dragons didn't build in a way to like have a swarm of a creature or something like that. Like, why do I have a spell where I can summon eight creatures and I have to then make attack rolls and keep track of hit points for eight different creatures? That's way too many creatures. Like, there's no circumstance in which the base rules for this uh, encapsulate this and run this well. Right. Um, like even as a game master, I wouldn't put eight creatures that you're fighting in combat unless I had some ways to like really streamline what their turn looks like. Because as soon as it's the creature's turn, like having to mo- make moves and roll attacks for eight different creatures is 
is a pain and keeping track of all the hit points. You know, my upper limit of, of uh, regular combatants is usually like five, maybe six. And I'll have f- combats where you're fighting, you know, 10, 12, 15 creatures. But in that case, I, I make them all move in bulk. I, you know, I, I shift everybody around all at once. I make them all act on the same initiative. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't make all of them like unique individual creatures that I have to keep track of in a, well, on a regular way. Or suddenly your bad guy also summons eight wolves. And ah, they yeah. all fight each other. Done. And it's just a wolf fight. And everybody sits back and watches the wolf, watches the wolves fight. No, no, each no. Other. You're all fighting each other. The wolves are just doing their own thing. Yeah. That would be so lame. <laughs> um, I actually really love spells like uh, Thunderwave for this kind of thing. So you can have a wizard like hop in and be like, oh, you got eight wolves? Bam. I Thunderwave them all. I, let's see them all make deck saves. That doesn't matter. They're all dead anyway. <laughs> or they just poof. They're not dead. They just poof. Yeah. And they're conjured animals. They don't right. They don't really exist. No. They're, they're fake creatures that suddenly came into existence and then disappear. Okay. Well, uh, Longling, uh, you're totally right. Conjure animals is broken. Hopefully those are some tips that will help you. Yeah. Um, but you've got... Game Master's on your side. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not the only one who thinks that there's Yeah, a... and check out the monstersno.com. It's a really good resource. I've been enjoying it, and I need to track this person down and get them on the podcast someday. <laughs> someday. If I, if, I, if I talk about them long enough, maybe they'll, I don't know, happen to find us, too. Make their way onto, onto our podcast. That'd be so That'd be cool. Fun. Yeah, let's move on to... Use that spell. Use that spell. Okay, so here's the thing. I could not pick. I have two spells here. I could pick between them. So I'm going to make you pick. Oh, okay. We can either do Passwall or Primal Savagery. I don't know Primal Savagery. Let's do that one. Okay, Primal Savagery. Primal Savagery is a spell from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. It's a transmutation. It's a cantrip. Um, Casting time one, action range, self components, S. Somatic. Thank you. Duration instantaneous. (laughs) You channel primal magic to cause your teeth or fingernails to sharpen. Ouch. Ready to deliver a corrosive attack. Hmm. Make a melee spell attack against one creature within five feet of you. On a hit, the target takes 1d10 acid damage. After you make the attack, your teeth or fingernails return to normal. The spell's damage increases by 1d10 when you reach 5th level, 2d10. 11th level is 3d10 and 17th level 4d10. Uh, this is from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, page 163. So in um, an instant, your teeth or fingernails sharpen and you get to do acid damage to someone by either like biting or scratching them? Yeah, I think it's interesting that your teeth or fingernails sharpen, but then you do acid damage. Right. As opposed is, to piercing damage right. or something. Wouldn't that, yeah. I was going to say, it should be like slashing or piercing or right. biting. Is there biting damage? I mean, sure, why not? There could be. Why not? <laughs> why not? Um, yeah, I mean, I I think that's an odd choice. But I guess, you know, acid damage is, is like, nice to have an elemental type. Yeah, thing, and know. it's a lot. 1d10? It is. It's, For a cantrip? It's, it's up there with uh, um, Firebolt and with uh, um, the uh, Warlock cantrip. Right. Uh, as well, so. But, like, it totally makes me think of... Uh, that Family Guy episode where they all get powers and Meg just gets the ability to grow her fingernails longer. Oh, and she like scratches Quagmire and he goes, ouch, that stings. Yeah. She's like, yeah, take it. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, wow, whew, that stings. But, you know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
It is, it is a little like that. But this really stings. This acid damage. It's, it's real. It's real. It's really. Does it's really acid burning. damage um, continue after you get? No. It doesn't. Yeah, what is it that called? Does. You know, when you get poisoned and then it like lasts a couple rounds. What is that? Oh, I, don't, crap. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, okay, so you you get um, you get burned, and then you you continue to take burning damage. Okay. For a yeah. couple rounds, isn't yeah. that called something? Not that I'm aware of. Really? Yeah. Persisting damage, maybe? I could have sworn that was a thing. I don't think it's a thing. It's not a thing? I mean, it happens in the game. like right. this, But there's, I don't think there's a name for it. It's, it's not, not like continual effects? No, I don't think so. There's not like a there, category? There or? are actually lots of other games where they have like a specific term for that kind of thing. But in Dungeons & Dragons? No, I don't think so. Well, they should. There you go. <laughs> they should. They absolutely should. And this acid should totally hurt, continue to hurt you. It should, but it doesn't. Well, I also think it's kind of weird that you like your teeth and fingernails go right back to normal. Well, Why can't I, mean, I have pointy teeth for a while? <laughs> that would be painful. What it, if you? What if it you, is a cantrip? What if you bite your tongue? Oh man, that'd be the worst. And then you and then you burn it with acid. Too. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. I would probably always choose my fingernails because my fingernails don't grow very well. And then for like one round, I could be like, oh look. Mm. <laughs> there you go it's really nice looking just don't scratch yourself no I, okay here's a question yeah. i have nail polish on okay and my fingers grow and sharpen would would they look really cool or really crappy <laughs> i mean i think the choice would be yours as a player but i would let you continue to look fabulous with your nail polish thank you yeah well because you know when your nails grow out and suddenly you have that line where your fingernail polish stops and your nail grows sure i mean you're totally right and also it's a magical spell so <laughs> i think you can get away with like also extending your nail polish <laughs> you know because of because of the magic oh, i have braces <laughs> okay and, <laughs> and my teeth these are great i'm loving these so much. my teeth grow and sharpen what does that do to my braces well bigger question if you needed braces uh are your teeth maybe pointed in some some right. Unfortunate directions. I know. Uh-oh. <laughs> become really sharpened. That's not good. Yeah. You know, it actually doesn't say that they grow. It just says that they sharpen. What? Yeah. So they don't get any longer. They just get real pointy. Oh, that stinks. <laughs> yeah. Can, can I say they grow? Yeah. 100%. Okay. They grow. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do like the theme of this as a, as a kind of spell, especially for like a druid or something like that, where like... It's almost like um, shape shifting just a little bit into a into yeah. an animal. Um, yeah. I think that's that's got a fun. Well, because what else would they call too. this? Primal savagery is really good name, and and it really takes you into being more animalistic, right? Yeah. But like, it's better than saying like you know, sharpened fangs. Sure. <laughs> sharpened. The, the fang sharp. Sharpened Sh- nails. Sharp. Claw fangs. Yeah. No, that wouldn't work. Notice it doesn't say toenails. It's true. It says fingernails very specifically. So you can't monk style kick them in the face with your sharp toenails. Like, that's rude. You should be able to do that. I think think you totally should be able to do that. Here's a question. Yeah. Um, This casting time on action duration instantaneous on a hit after you make your attack. What if I'm a monk and I have multiple attacks? Like, fury of blows. So the way this spell works, and there's actually a bunch of spells in the game that work this way is the casting time of the spell is one action. So you can't flurry of blows or make a, a you know punching attack because that would be your action. And so the, since the spell takes the action, the 
attacking with the teeth or nails is actually part of the spell. Mm. So you can't you can't do both. This is where what we were talking about earlier, action economy, right. really, really comes into play. So even if I wanted to like multi-class, you know, druid, monk, and and really play this up. I really can't use these in a way that breaks them against each other. It's too bad you can't cast this on someone else. Um, it's true. Cause I think this would be kind of a fun one to, to give to someone else. It's also kind of interesting that they didn't put it together like um, like one of the Paladin Smite abilities, where pal- the Paladin Smites are a bonus action to cast, and then it says the next time that you hit with a melee attack. Um, and I can see why, because they want it to be like a caster-specific ability, right? And casters don't really make melee attacks, and you want to be able to do your melee attack with your casting spell casting bonus and stuff. Um, but the downside is that you can't combine it into 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 some other things. And actually, this gets into sort of I'm assuming this is a druid spell. You know, it's about primal magic. Um, might be a wizard spell too. Um, but it gets into the sort of restrictions for the druid for shape shifting that you can't, like, cast this spell, then shapeshift into a form, and then have some extra acid damage on your biting, right. biting attack or something. Which is too bad, because if I shapeshifted into, like, a snake, right. I would want some extra acid. Yeah, you get some extra acid on top of your poison. Yeah, <laughs> venomous and fun. poisonous. Yeah, there you go. Um, truly corrosive. But uh, but ultimately, I think the the real purpose of this is is, you know, a classic damage cantrip where you can get a melee attack in. It might be kind of fun to play a melee wizard or something. That... Melee wizard. Yeah. You know, this is not the, the first time strongman melee wizard has come up. Yes, Bobby in our in our campaign forever ago played a wizard with like a 10 intelligence or something and like a 16 strength um, and went around posing with his muscles all over the place, yeah. <laughs> which was great. It was one of the better characters. Did make it kind of difficult for him to, to do that. Um, the challenge here is that you're still making a melee a spell attack against somebody. So mm-hmm. you still have to have a decent spell casting modifier. Yeah, exactly. Melee spell attack against mm-hmm. one creature. It's not just a melee attack. It's a melee spell attack. Correct. Which makes sense because if I'm a spellcaster, I probably wouldn't have a very good melee attack. Right. <laughs> and so like some of this is, is in the balance pieces. I also like the idea of a spell like this being used for like intimidating somebody or something like that. Intimidating? Intimidating. Oh, thank Intimidating you. Intimidating somebody or something That's like that. That's much better. Yeah. And I, I think that that would be kind of a fun way to do this. Like you uh, hide in the shadows and you grin evilly with sharpened teeth or something like that. Um, yeah, because it says after you make the attack. So so it's on your next, it is on your next attack. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to carve my initials into the wall with acidy. Technically, it is part of the same action. This casting of the spell and making the attack is all one action. I would totally let I'm you. I'm Catwoman. <laughs> Especially because it's a cantrip, I would totally let you like carve into the wall with with acidy fingernails or something like that. Like even even under the worst of the circumstances, you would just keep casting it. And you just cast it again and again. Oh, I ran out of acid on my finger and I'll just cast it again and get a little bit more acid. <laughs> when I was a kid, um, we my sister and I were babysat by this girl up the street. And she was watching that Batman movie uh, with Catwoman. Uh, mm. And I believe it was... Batman Returns. Yeah, I think so. And I don't remember anything about that movie, but I remember I remember being terrified because Catwoman came up to someone in an alley and did tic-tac-toe on their face and scratched their face yeah. in like a hashtag way. No, and it was so terrifying. And we were doing 
this is so 90s, we were doing spirographs. <laughs> and I remember being freaked out and not wanting to do the spirograph anymore because it reminded me of the tic-tac-toe on the face. Yeah. I still haven't seen that movie. Really? Yeah. It is kind of a horrifying movie. Right? And I was a kid. Yeah. Like, so I've been, I've been young enough that my older sister movie. couldn't just babysit me. Like, we both had to go be babysat. This is before my parents divorced, so I, I must I was younger than five. And... Yeah, I remember. I remember watching that one scene and being so freaked out. It's a real freaky movie. Honestly, yeah. like even going back and watching it as an adult, I go, oh, this is a really dark movie. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess if I was going to do Primal Savagery, I would only do teeth because the fingernails would remind me too much of Catwoman. Yeah, maybe you could play Catwoman. Why, well, I said that play earlier. It, play but out your... My fear? Your fear. Yeah. Oh, great. That's just You're just becoming the Batman. Uh, but she the Catwoman Batman. Yeah, but the, you know, the Catwoman. You're a cat woman woman. <laughs> <laughs> Double the woman. Yeah. Single I, the I use cat. My, I use my fear against my enemies. My fear happens to be cat woman. <laughs> <laughs> what would my sigil be? <laughs> be a picture of cat woman, I guess. <laughs> but not a cat. But not a cat. No. No. Be cat woman. It would just be like one of those mud flap silhouette girls, but cat woman. But cat woman. <laughs> With a tic-tac-toe hashtag in the background. Yeah, oh, freaky. Okay. No. <laughs> done. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening. <laughs> I guess that's a good It's a shorter to... episode this that's time fine. around. That's all right. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, uh, well, let's let's th- thank everybody for their questions. Thank you for listening. Um, and hey, Adam, where can they contact us? Well, you can go to the website at nextsessionpodcast.com, and there's a section where you can submit a question there. We always love when you submit questions. Oh, yeah. I forgot. We got a question. Awesome. Yeah, I have to read you this question. Um, because, you want to do it right now? Yep, I'm going to do it right now. Okay. Um, because uh, I, I'm pretty sure this was a mistake. Um, or maybe some someone's daring us to read this question on oh. there. Um, this is an extra bonus question. Yeah, there. bonus yeah. question. Let's see if you can answer it on the on the fly here. I mean, you answer everything on the fly, but that's but, true. I, I answer everything. On the yeah. Fly. I, in case you guys didn't know, Adam doesn't get to know the questions ahead of time. Only I do. Um, okay, here you go. Tonga Rustic Fresh Bike asks AI. Okay. Um, apparently, uh, Tonga prefers the pronouns rustic fresh bike, uh, listens to us at handcrafted cotton salad, and their question is AI. Hmm. I'm going to say yes, but only situational. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, that was a, it was a weird, uh, I'm not sure if it was like a joke or. I don't know. Or if it was. There you a, go, Tonga. <laughs> a mistake, but if it wasn't probably it's like we're like a magic eight ball you just shake us up a little bit you say ask ask again later yeah <laughs> um signs point to yes signs point to yes <laughs> on twitter and facebook you can you can uh find us at the next session on instagram we are at next session podcast i'm adam Jones and i'm Alyssa john so tune in next time and we will help you prep for your next session unless you're tongue yeah Sorry, Tonga. Sorry, Tonga. Bye. Bye.